I definitely want to, I am wired now, John. I should be on the lapel. Okay, there I am. Okay. Uh, I do want to welcome you again today to Warren Alliance Church, whether you're on site or online. Um, and today, today we're going to be talking about a theme of uh, remembrance and it seemed appropriate for a holiday because uh, really the point of any holiday is to establish a specific memorial, uh, something that we look back and celebrate. Um, and uh, Independence Day, we know, is a, it's a federal holiday that is to commemorate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, that the Continental Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer subject to King George. Uh, we, we have a lot to celebrate as a nation and as Christians who live within God's kingdom but also live within this nation, we need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for our leaders. But you know, as we look at this issue of the holiday and we think about what we look back and we celebrate as a nation, we realize as Christians, the issue of memorial and the issue of remembrance is something we see throughout the scripture. And so we're going to look at that theme of, of remembering and, and specifically looking in Joshua chapter 4 at the memorial stones. And if you've walked around the property or if you know that you've been around the church for any length of time, you know that we actually have a plaque over in the flower bed over next to Kaiser Education Wing uh, next to a pile of stones. I believe they're right next to each other. Um, uh, they're supposed to be right next to each other. Thank you, Tom, for confirming that. But... Um, uh, when they built the property here, um, they followed the model of what we're going to read today uh, in, in Joshua 4, where someone from each tribe grabbed a rock out of the Jordan and planted that rock in the bank of the Jordan as a memorial to remind their children of God's faithfulness and what God had done. Because, you know, as I hear the stories, and I, I know Tom has shared, Bob Mann, I've heard the stories share about just the doubts when the church, little church on Conowango purchased the property here, uh, people saying it's a swamp, never going to work, uh, just never going to come up with the funds or whatever the, whatever the issues were, uh, that moment where they were setting those stones at the dedication of the building um, was a reminder of God's faithfulness. It's not necessarily looking back at what they had done, it was looking back at what God had done in establishing our presence right here in this location. Uh, that issue of memorial is, is key. And, and, and really this is something that we see in Joshua 3 and 4 and, and the crossing the Jordan and the memorial stones that are set up. But we, if you've been walking through Mission 119, Pastor Soper has been highlighting that theme. Uh, and, and there's a lot of parallels between what we see in Joshua 3 and 4 and what we saw back in Exodus in, in celebrating uh, God's deliverance of his people out of slavery in Egypt. And, and we see that, that theme of memorial and remembering carry right into the New Testament and what we celebrated today in taking communion together. But what we're going to do, I'm going to very briefly just highlight what was in chapter 3 of Joshua, and then we're going to read the entirety of chapter 4 together. But in Joshua 3, God spoke to the people and, and said, consecrate yourself, which consecrate is a theological word for setting yourself apart. It's, it's the idea where we get our idea of sanctification, that we set ourselves apart from the world and dedicate ourselves to God. So God was preparing. He said, sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
I mean, this is a group of people, they've heard about God doing wonders among them before. But this is the generation that's being allowed to enter into the promised land. And, and they, they may not all, at this point, have had firsthand experience of all those stories they heard of how God had delivered their people out of Egypt. You can imagine their excitement to know that God is about ready to take them into the promised land. And he says, consecrate yourself, set yourself apart, dedicate yourself to me, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. But then God speaks to Joshua, and he says to Joshua, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And we already looked at Joshua's commissioning and how Joshua understood the importance because he saw it in Moses' life, that he knew that, that he needed God to be present in his life, and he needed to walk in obedience with him. And the same intimacy that you saw with Moses, with God, Joshua wanted that in his own life and his experiences leading God's people. And so God is telling Joshua, this is going to be the moment as we prepare to go into the promised land that I'll establish you as the leader. He's already been commissioned. He's already been appointed. He already is the leader, but the people will know that in the same way that I was with Moses, they're going to be with you. And then he gives the instructions that the Ark of the Covenant will go first and that when the priests feet hit the water, the water will stop flowing, and the people will cross over on dry land. That leads us to where we're at in Joshua 4, and again, we're going to read the entire thing with just a few comments, but go ahead and the words will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, just turn to Joshua 4 in your Bible. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel, a memorial forever. You know, what's amazing to me in these accounts, and it's, again, very similar to what we see in the Exodus account, is even in the midst of God doing his work, he's giving these instructions to not only to do what he's telling them to do so God can do the miraculous work that he's doing, but he's, he's already giving them instructions to prepare a memorial. It's almost as if God knows us well enough to know how easily we forget. How easily we forget what God has done. And you, and you know, you think about the generation that didn't get the privilege, the, the, those who had, were privileged to see God miraculously work and delivering his people from Egypt, but didn't get the privilege of entering into the promised land. I've always been amazed when I look back and I see, I'm like, how could you see that? How could you see the plagues? How could you see Passover? How could you see the miracle at the Red Sea and, 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 and Pharaoh's army destroyed? 
How could you see God providing manna from heaven? All the miraculous things that God did for that group of people, the first generation out of Egypt, it's like the people forgot. And they would grumble and complain and say, you know, weren't our days back in Egypt better? This group of people didn't get to experience all that, but they, they heard the stories. And in this moment, God, a God who knows how easily we forget, is not only doing a miracle in, in his people's lives, he's setting up an, a memorial to remind his people of his faithfulness and remind his people of this day that he is fulfilling the promise of taking the people into the promised land. Let's pick back up in verse 8. It says, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes and the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there, there they are to this day. There's some debate on whether or not this is two piles of stones. One that Joshua sets up in the water and the, the 12 that are set up on the bank. Um, I think the emphasis is on the ones that the, each of the tribe, the leaders from each tribe of Israel have set up upon the bank and uh, reminding the people of God's faithfulness. But it continues in verse 10. It says, For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded. And Joshua to tell, commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. In verse 11, it says, And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the Lord. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. That's the fulfillment of that promise in chapter 3, that the people will know that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, which would give them the confidence to continue and to follow, because they know that they're going into a promised land that has inhabitants. That's why they're dressed for battle, because they know that they have to go in and take the land that God was giving them. It goes on in verse 15. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. And so Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the water of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. You know, and it says, the people came up out of the Jordan in the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal at the east border of Jericho. You know, if you read some commentaries, uh, some, some scholars will try to go to great lengths to try to come up with a natural explanation for what happens. But, you know, when I read this account, I mean, it's very clear. As soon as the priest's feet hit the water, the water stops. The priest's feet up on the dry land, the water flows. God is clearly working in this situation. I've never really understood the um, 
the the natural the tendency of some that would say, well, let's find a natural explanation for something miraculous that God is doing, because the the account is clear that God is doing something, God is working, uh, and and how He does it, I don't have it's it's miracle, <laughs> it's, it's something that clearly God is interacting, and and the Jordan would not normally be stopping. It stopped in the moment that the priest carrying the ark stepped into the water and began flowing as soon as they stepped onto the dry land. Verse 20 through 24, the final verses of this chapter, says, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." You know, think for a moment again. Go back to that first generation of Israel. Those who witnessed all the miracles in in God delivering them out of Egypt and seeing the miracle in passing over the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army destroyed. Do you think that they would should look at I me? It's it's always easy. I'm much less harsh on Israel the more I reflect on my own failings. But, you know, it's, it's amazing to think back that at that moment, in the same way that I think God was, is preparing his people, they're dressed for battle, God is working, they know that God is with Joshua, they're prepared for the battle and taking the land that God is giving them. That's really what should have been going on in the hearts and the lives of Israel following the Red Sea. They didn't have to take the 40-year detour. Uh, if you look at the map... Uh, they shouldn't have had to take a 40-year detour. They should have been able to go and claim the promised land, and yet because of their disobedience, their lack of faith and lack of trust, despite all that they had seen, they had to wait. Israel had to wait, and now you have a new generation with Joshua and Caleb, the only two that are actually entering of that previous generation. They're entering into the promised land, and they're going in prepared for battle, knowing that God is with them. God knows how easily we forget. And, and, and that's human nature. We, we can look back in our lives and we can forget all the blessings that we have from God's hand. We can forget all that God has done for us. And that's why throughout the scriptures you see God being intentional of telling his people to establish memorials. And that's been true in the history of the church as well. And, and that really highlights the importance of remembering. What I found, though, is, I, and just a little bit of an aside, is sometimes it's, it's important, or not sometimes, it's always important that we read the Scripture and look at, interpret Scripture with Scripture, look at the whole of Scripture. And do you ever kind of wonder with God, it's clear that God emphasizes in many places throughout the Scripture the importance of memorial. But then you have passages like in Isaiah 43 where God's, God's doing a new thing. Isaiah 43 says, Remember not the former things. Or consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
God speaking through Isaiah was challenging the people who were not, instead of looking back and celebrating what God had done in the past so that they could then approach the present with confidence and boldness, they were stuck in the past. There's a difference between looking back and celebrating what God had done so that, as we sang about it this morning, so that he can do it again. Then saying, well, I just want it to be like the good old days. I just want to look back at what God has done and just stay there. Looking back and celebrating what God has done is to give us confidence to trust him to do it again, to do a new thing. Think about Paul. This is another part of scripture that always struck me as not in conflict, but you kind of have to take scripture and scripture and say, how do these fit together? Do you remember Paul in Philippians 3? Paul in Philippians 3 says this, in talking about his spiritual life, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own that he's attained any sort of spiritual perfection. Go back and read the whole chapter. But he says, I have not made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You might think Paul and this idea and his focus in Philippians 3 of that, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power that is experienced in sharing in Christ's suffering and in the power of his resurrection. That, that passion you see in Paul in those words of, of knowing Christ, that, that he's like a runner saying, I, forgetting what lies behind, I'm moving forward to what lies ahead. That's a reminder that when we look back, it's not, again, that we live there, but that we look at what God has done to have confidence to move forward into what God is calling us to. Those two things are not at odds. We see both themes in Scripture. We need to remember Look back to what God has done for his people. Israel needed to be reminded of what God had done for them. The church has to constantly be reminded of what God has done for his people. And on a personal level, it's so critical in our spiritual life that we remind ourselves, so we take time to think about what God has done in our life. And, and so think about that. Remembering what God has done, the remembering is that the focus is to look back to, to what God has done for his people. We know that this is very, there's a lot of similarities between the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land is, is almost parallel to what we see in, in God guiding his people at the Red Sea, through the Red Sea. And, and looking back and, and remembering how God delivered his people out of Egypt, remember what celebration they set up at that time based on the final plague to Egypt? Passover. Passover was established to remember God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. And every time they celebrated Passover, they remembered the sacrificial lamb. Jesus later connects with that, but before we get to that, let's look at the crossing of the Jordan. This is another moment, another celebration, a memorial that God is establishing to help his people remember. And it's having, having the people look back and remember that God led them to the promised land, and that the people crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Joshua 4, 21 through 23, those words again says, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what did these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And the Lord your God, or as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Here, 
in this Joshua account, you're making a clear connection. There's a clear connection between what God did in, at the Passover and, and leading his people out of slavery in Egypt and leading them across the Red Sea to now entering the promised land on dry ground. God is reminding his people that we need to remember what God has done for us and have confidence that he'll care for us today and in the future. Jesus clearly You can't read through the New Testament and see those final days that Jesus celebrates in his first celebration of the Last Supper. He's connecting what he is about to do upon the cross to the Passover. Jesus himself is the Passover lamb. And we read these words in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, what the Apostle Paul was taught in what he experienced of communion. This is the text I usually read on communion Sundays, because it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, these words remind us of what he has done for each of us. Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate communion monthly. Some traditions do it weekly. But Jesus established that memorial that would have been any, every one of those individuals gathered with Jesus when he established communion would have saw the connection between Passover meal, celebrating God's deliverance, celebrating the Passover lamb, would have saw the connection between Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, who took our sin upon himself so that we could be restored to a relationship with the creator and enter into eternity. We celebrate what Jesus did upon the cross every time we take the bread and every time we take the cup. And it's something we have to, it's crucial. When we think about what we need to remember what God has done for us, it all starts at the cross. Remembering what Jesus did for us. But it also is not only looking back at the cross, it's also looking at an empty tomb. And understanding that the, the resurrection changed everything. Remember to that point, God's people worshipped on Saturday. People may ask, well, why do Christians worship on Sunday? Traditionally, it's been understood as because they saw the first day of the week as the Lord's day, celebrating Jesus' resurrection. In John 20, verse 1, John 20 is my favorite account of the resurrection. It says in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the Lamb. Mary's encounter at the, at the, at the tomb of, uh, in her encounter with the resurrected Jesus took place on the first day of the week. And then John 20, verse 19, later that same day, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Just having regular habits of regular weekly worship should be something that helps us remember what God has done for us. Celebrating Christ's death as well as his resurrection. Those are the two foundational pieces, and and 
We need to look back and see what Jesus has done for us and know that in the same way that Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, that Jesus is coming back for us. Those basic pieces of the story of the Christian message are central to who we are as a people. Just in the same way that Israel was defined by their experience in celebrating Passover and all the other feasts and celebrations that they had defined them as a people. We are defined as the people of God as we celebrate Christ's death and his resurrection and all that he has done for us. I want to end, though, with a practical piece of about our own life. Like, okay, we understand as a church why we, we gather regularly, why we take the bread and take the cup. We celebrate what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection. But you know, on a practical level, I think it's so critical that we also remember what God has done for us personally. Not only in providing salvation, but the way that God works in our hearts and our lives. One of the things that I think is so uh, such a critical spiritual exercise is tell your story. What we would often talk about is our testimony. Have any, I mean, have you, have you all ever written out your testimony? Anytime we have someone that be, would be baptized, which we're planning a baptism for later this summer, a little plug there if you're interested. But, you know, any of the baptismal candidates, that's the first thing we ask them is like, well, you need to be prepared to tell your story. Talk about your life before you came to Jesus Talk about your li- how you came to Jesus and, and how is your life different. It's, it's, taking, it's the intersection. Our testimony is the intersection of God's story and our story, where they come together, where we experience the salvation of Christ personally. Learning to share our story, to know our story and tell our story is one of the most foundational things we can do as Christians. It's the first place where we can begin to live as a witness. Is, is just telling people your story, what God has done for you. One of the things is a spiritual discipline that I know some of you do, that if you haven't done it, I typically have done this sporadically at my life, but I've always benefited from the seasons that I've done this, is keeping a journal. Sometimes people would call it a prayer journal. Some people just have a, I, I've known some people that just have a book specifically to write down the moments when God speaks to them. They write that down to help discern God's voice. You know, a journal, a prayer journal can be so helpful because you can look back and you can see where God was faithful during a challenging time. When I, the times where I'm writing the most in my journal are usually difficult seasons in my life. I've often joked, if anyone ever went back and looked at my journals, they'd think, man, Doug was a mess. Because, because it was, it's always to the hard stuff that I'm writing about. I don't tend to write as much during the, the easier times. You know, when you look back at the, the difficult times, it's in those moments we see God's faithfulness and it gives us confidence for now. And again, without quoting the whole poem, we, most of you probably know the poem, Footprints in the Sand. Remember the gist of that poem? Is that God promised, Jesus promised the man that, that he would carry, that he would walk with him through every part of his life and the scenes when he looked back, he saw two footprints in the sand, but in the moments where there was only one set of footprints it was during the most difficult times of his life. And, and he's like, God, what, what's up with this? He's like, why, why would I be walking? This is the modern paraphrase. Why, why were you, why was just one set of footprints in those darkest times of my life? And remember the answer. It's in those moments that I carried you. When we look back in our life and we, when we celebrate what God has done during the difficult times in our life, it increases our faith. 
And God often doesn't respond in the way that we want in that moment, but God always responds and is faithful. I actually heard, I had to add this into my notes this morning as I was driving over this morning. If anyone was listening to the message, you may have heard this this morning as well. Uh, I love Charles Spurgeon, and they gave a quote that fits perfectly. Spurgeon said, It is folly to think that the Lord provides grace for every trouble but the one you are in today. It's folly to think that the Lord provides grace for every trouble but the one you are in today. I mean, we can celebrate God, God was, gave us the grace we needed in the past. Then why can't we celebrate and trust the fact he's going to give us the grace for what we need today? That's what Spurgeon is getting at. Other things you can write in your journal are about just the little miracles that you see in your life or the big miracles you see in your life. When you see God work, write it down. Celebrate it. Remember it. And as I said earlier too, the idea when you sense God speaking to you, write it down. It not only is helpful to just look back and see the way God was speaking into your life, it can also help you refine your ability to hear God speak. It's like tuning in the radio. You remember some of the older radio stations before it became digital, you had to really play with the dial? The more we hear God speak in our life and see how it aligns to God's word, the more we listen, the more in tune we are with his spirit, the more we can hear him. And that brings us to the last practical piece. Three practical things today I want to encourage you to is think about your own story. If you've never written your story out, your testimony, think about what God has done for you, what was your life before Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, and how has your life been different. Keep a journal. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy. Just get some paper, start writing down the things that way, or maybe you can take some time and just look back and answer some past questions about what God has done, how he's brought you through difficult times, the little miracles he's done in your life, how he has spoken to you. You know, the last practical piece is that we need to tell people about what God has done for us. And there's a phrase that is used at least a couple places in Scripture, and I, I have two verses to share with you, but the idea of recounting what God has done, recounting the deeds of the Lord, or recount the steadfast love of the Lord. We need to, we need to tell the story of what God has done for us. And that Psalm 118.17 says, I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Lord. And even more in Isaiah 63.7, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of the Lord and that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. We need to have those times of increasing our own gratitude for what God has done. We've sung about God's faithfulness today. We need to be celebrating God's faithfulness and his provision in our life. And one of the best things we can do to increase that gratitude is recount the steadfast love of the Lord. Tell the story of God's goodness in your life and the way that he has been faithful to you. We're not going to sing it this morning, but some of you grew up singing the old hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. And some of those words are, I just want to read the first verse. It says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's t- tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. 
I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And you think about it. There are some things we're going to do on this side of eternity that we won't have to do in the future. We don't, we're not going to be seeking to bring people to faith. We're, there are certain aspects of our faith that we won't be continuing, but, but worshiping God for who he is and, and celebrating all he has done for us, that's going to continue for eternity. And so I love that phrase of that old hymn. I love to tell the story. It'll be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I hope that in your life, as you look back and look at the past of what God has done in your life, that it motivates you to speak about God's goodness in your life, that you might even sing about God's goodness in your life and share his goodness with those around you because it will not only have an impact on those around you, it will increase your gratitude and your faith in what God is going to do in your life. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, of your goodness to your people. And we just pray that today that you help us to take the time to pause and reflect upon your goodness in our life, that we would take the time to share some of the stories of your goodness to us, to those around us.